If you have body fat to lose, you really need to be kind of actually moderating your fat intake. And that's another huge misconception on the ketogenic diet is that you need to eat excess fat to like get you into ketosis or that you can eat unlimited fat, you know, that you can just add cheese and butter to everything, which most women would probably benefit from more of a higher protein, low carb approach with more moderate fat intakes. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's guest is Dr. Jamie Seaman, also known as Dr. Fit and Fabulous on Instagram, YouTube, and truly all over the world. But that wasn't always her story. She wasn't always Dr. Fit and Fabulous. Dr. Jamie talks about today how she was a collegiate athlete and truly really didn't have to be concerned about her nutrition. But along came medical school, a more sedentary life, and starting a family. And she found herself with prediabetes, thyroid issues, and PCOS. And truly, she kind of felt like a hypocrite as a nutrition major and a physician. However, in a span of just five short years, Dr. Jamie has been transformed. Her purpose and her passion have all become clear. She has never felt or looked better, and she has healed all of her prior conditions. Today, we'll dive into specifics about her daily routine, diet, and exercise. She provides some great tips to those who might be struggling or who just might want to up their game a little bit and become fit and fabulous themselves. Lastly, she reminds us that often, We need to put the oxygen mask on first before we can help others. And then when we fill our cup, we are able to give back more than we could have ever, ever imagined. Dr. Jamie Seaman is a board-certified OBGYN practicing in Omaha, Nebraska. She played collegiate softball for the Cornhuskers. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in Nutrition, Exercise, and Health Sciences. And she is a fellow in Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine. She is also a board-certified ketogenic nutrition specialist through the American Nutrition Association. She has a passion for fitness, preventative medicine, and ketogenic therapy, not only in her medical practice, but in her own life. And you will see that ever so clearly today. She is married to her husband, Ben, a police sergeant, and has three young daughters. Dr. Seaman is also Mrs. Nebraska 2020 and appeared on the NBC Titan Games with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I can't wait for you to hear from Dr. Seaman today. Here she is. Good afternoon, Dr. Jamie. It is such an honor to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Seriously, it's an honor. Another strong mom. (laughs) That is what just was at the forefront of my mind about this interview was that, you know, as a mom of four girls, I really want them to have role models that are 
thinking boldly, maybe challenging what we've always been told. And I look at you as someone who epitomizes that and who is such a strong role model for not just myself and my generation, but for our daughters. And as a mom of three daughters, like you have too, it's just, it's really special. So honored to have your time and your wisdom here today. And I would love for you, for the listeners that don't know you and don't know your journey as well, can you just share a little bit about your background and maybe just dive right into your health journey thus far? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the kind words because where I am today and where I was you know, five years ago, I really wasn't the same person. And a little bit about my journey. I live in Nebraska, right in the middle of the US, born and raised here. And I was a three-sport athlete growing up, grew up in a household where my mom was kind of the hardworking breadwinner of our family. And she's always been an amazing role model for me. She's the one that actually really kind of pushed me towards a career in medicine. She herself was a nurse and worked in healthcare administration. So I've always had kind of this, you know, strong female figure in my life. But my mom was like almost loyal to a fault, like always putting everybody in the world before herself. And she has had over her own life, you know, struggles with weight and health. And she's, I think, gained and lost 100 pounds multiple times in her life. Um, But I was a three sport athlete. And I ended up playing college softball for the University of Nebraska. And while I was there, I got a degree in nutrition and exercise science. I was a two-time lifter of the year at Nebraska. So I've always been very physically active, but I got away with eating really poorly most of my life because of my activity level. And my husband and I met in college and then got married right after college. And I got into medical school. And during medical school, we decided to start our family. So I got pregnant with my first daughter. And going to medical school was like this sudden shift in my life of kind of inactivity. Suddenly I'm sitting in a classroom for multiple hours per day. I'm in the library. I'm just not as active. And so I I started to struggle with maintaining my weight and I started to count calories and kind of really honestly created this horrible relationship with food. Kind of, I mean, I would like to call it like binge and restrict behavior. It was just very disordered. You know, I would like eat things and then just go try to go to the gym. And But anyway, in my first pregnancy, I failed my glucose testing. I gained way more weight than I would ever tell any patient gain because I really wasn't eating great. And then after my first daughter was born, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism and I had to go on thyroid medication. And fast forward to my second pregnancy, basically kind of the same story. And here I am, you know, I'm a mom, I've got tiny little children, I'm trying to finish my OBGYN residency. And then during my third pregnancy with my third daughter, we have three girls, I had a horrible tragedy happen in March of 2015. And shortly after I lost one of my best friends actually in the middle of her pregnancy. And I was diagnosed with prediabetes. I had been, like I said, on thyroid medication. And all of a sudden, I just felt like a total fraud. I had this degree in nutrition, I had a medical degree, but I really wasn't walking the talk, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk, you know, for my patients, I just felt like as doctors, we should be the ones like setting the example. And then I started to really question everything I had learned, you know, in nutrition and medicine. And like, is all of this right? Like, is this what life is really like? And I kind of set out on this personal journey to kind of fix my health. And I ended up kind of adopting this low carb ketogenic diet and it worked amazing. But of course, it it wasn't wildly accepted in medicine. 
And shortly after that, I um, started an integrative medicine fellowship through the University of Arizona. And I'm just finishing that now. I'll soon be dual board certified. But I really just kind of started to peel back the layers of traditional medical education and nutrition education. And, and I really just started to question a lot of things. And I was seeing these amazing health benefits. I got rid of my pre-diabetes. I got off my thyroid medicine. I just felt amazing. And then I started to see it in my own patients. So I started to really work on, you know, nutritional therapies with my patients. And, um, and now I've, I've just seen such amazing things clinically. And, you know, and now we're getting a lot of data to support that. But when I first, you know, kind of set out on this journey, it was like definitely uncharted waters. And here I am in 2020, some amazing things have happened in my life just as, as a result of, you know, what started as just fixing my nutrition really manifested into living my life with a different purpose and a different passion. And, and here I am with these three little girls, and I just feel this immense amount of responsibility to not let let them have to live through some of the same mistakes that I made and to just empower them with, you know, the right mindset to, you know, conquer anything in life that they're willing to work for. And I don't want self image and, and things like that to be barriers that, that have to exist for them. And so that's kind of where I'm at in my life right now. That's kind of the shortest version of my story. But I'm just happy I'm here. I'm happy for a lot of the mistakes that I made in my life, because it, it makes me the person that I am today. You know, I think so many people can relate to your journey in college. I know as I was not the athlete you were in college, but I was a three-sport athlete in high school. And I remember going to college and it was such a big change for me to not be as active as I was. And then to have this cafeteria with like 24-7 like buffet, I remember thinking that was like the most amazing thing ever. And of course, I was also, I'm sure, drinking more than I needed to be drinking and all the things. And so I just can relate to your journey of there was a lot of my time in my life where I really didn't have to worry about it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, and then to have the kind of not great relationship with my, you know, my food, and it was kind of more everything was defined by that scale and and unhealthy behaviors. So I just I can really, really relate to your journey. And what I love to hear and my message on this podcast is really when we improve our health, we improve every other area of our life. And as moms, it's really that message has to be just so ingrained in us because it feels so selfish. But at the time, but then look at your journey and look at the last few years of your life. And when you're as your health improved, all the other ways you were able to give back to your children and to the different charities that you got you're involved in. I just think that's amazing. So I'm just really, really think your your journey is a testimony and speaks very loudly that when we prioritize our health, we make everything else better. Yeah. And the way that I really like to think about it is, you know, as moms, you know, we feel this, these selfish feelings when we do that. But really how I think about it is you cannot fill other people's cups if your pitcher's empty. So like, how do I expect to go take care of my patients or to be the best mom I can, you know, if I'm not thinking clearly and I don't have good energy and I'm not, you know, well rested and physically able to perform, you know, the best I need to perform. And so that's really kind of the way that I think about it. And a lot of people who follow me know one of my 
kind of mottos is pay yourself first. And I think as moms, we really need to um, think about it, meditate about it, pray about it, whatever your your way about it is, is to figure out really how to pay yourself first in your life. I think that is so important. So you talk about some of the pillars of health. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit of what you believe the pillars of health are? Yeah. So when I talk to my patients, no matter what their problem is, I always ask questions about these kind of five pillars or five areas. And and the, the number one pillar is nutrition. So nutrition has such a profound impact on everything in our life. You know, micronutrients are basically what run the biochemical processes inside of us. And so nutrition is a lot of times the number one therapy for, for a lot of issues that patients come in with. And then the second one is movement or exercise. The third one is sleep, which is one of the most just completely underestimated things that can impact your your health. And the next one is stress. So not only how much stress we have in our life, because some stress is actually good for us, but how we deal with it and how we balance it and how we're, you know, balancing our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. And then the last one's environment. So environment is our relationships, environment is toxins and chemicals that we're exposed to. So just a brief overview again, nutrition, movement, sleep, stress, and environment. And um, although sometimes we might, you know, really focus on one of those as our primary, you know, thing to work on, um, eventually you have to address all of them. (laughs) Um, And you have to be optimizing all those five things first. And then when those things don't work, you know, that's where traditional medical therapy is, you know, meant to fill the gaps and things like that. But that shouldn't be the primary, you know, focus. And and for most people, if you really focus on these five areas, your need for medical therapy is, is pretty low. Right. They sound so simple, but they're so powerful. And each one in and of itself. And like you said, each of them can't be an island. You can't just focus on nutrition. You just can't just focus on your stress. All of them have importance. So let's say a patient comes into your office and he or she is struggling on their health journey. What, when you start with nutrition, what are some things that have worked for you that you will often recommend as a a good starting point for them? Yeah. So for patients, um, you know, the first thing I do is what I call a 24 hour dietary recall. So like, give me an idea of what you normally eat in a you know 24 hour period. Because for most people, we're kind of creatures of habit. A lot of times we tend to do the same things. So even though each day might look a little different, most people, you know, can kind of have a general idea. And, and some patients aren't factual. <laughs> Sometimes they call the doctor what they want to hear. But the truth of the fact is like, your health doesn't lie. So when we check labs and we and we do things, I mean, we will uncover <laughs> we will uncover the truth. <laughs> right. So, so I usually, you know, we talk about diet and then and then we look at ways that we could manipulate their diet that may make them feel better. So for me, I have a history of insulin resistance and I was a pre-diabetic. So looking at carbohydrate sources in my diet was super important because um for me, uh, a low carb lifestyle is probably going to improve not only how I function on a daily basis, but also my long term health outcomes and things that I'm most at risk for. And then so carbs is one thing, which is a highly addictive food substance for a lot of women and and refined foods and processed foods kind of in general, a lot of times tend to be not only high carb, but high fat. And these are this is kind of the, the vegetable oils and flour and sugar that are that are so toxic in our modern American diet. So even if we're just talking about 
about, you know, cleaning up the diet from processed foods, sometimes we have to really look at, at how often they're being used and or and or abused. And for a lot of women, this is a very emotional subject and women tend to tend to be, you know, emotional eaters. And we, as we do this mm-hmm. dietary recall, we try to identify some of those behaviors. And, and then the second thing we look at in the diet is, is how much protein they're eating because women are chronically bad at eating protein, I find. And for me, I have a a very kind of muscle based approach to nutrition and exercise for most women, because as women, we have this social perception that muscles equal masculinity. (laughs) And that's, you know, been one of the stigmas that I've that I've really tried to break kind of, you know, in my business and in my brand, because although I was naturally kind of very athletic and muscular, muscle is one thing that can prevent metabolic disease as we age. And so when we look at, um, at muscle and lean body mass in women, eating protein and doing resistance training are, are kind of the two big things here that, that women need to focus on. So I, I look at what their protein sources are in their diet. And then of course, the third part of the diet is is fat. And fat for so many years now has been, you know, really vilified in the diet. And, and so sometimes it's just educating women about what these macronutrients really are and and then finding what's going to be best for this specific patient. And a lot of times what we end up doing is we do some testing. So we look at what their insulin resistance markers are. If I think they're at risk for some kind of micronutrient deficiency, we might do some testing there to see where they may be lacking in their diet. But but nutrition is just so important. I mean, I could name off, you know, a, a million different things, anxiety, PCOS, all of these things. And I could relate them back to how deficiencies in their diet might be exacerbating these conditions. On my health journey, and uh, I I cannot tell you how important the two things that you mentioned were, and that was protein and muscles. I really, at the end of the day, was getting over this stigma that lifting weights was less effective than cardio and that it was going to make me bulky. And and then two, getting enough protein in my diet. And when I, I am not a physician, I run a little private Facebook group called Motivate and literally 90% of us, that is, that is as women, what we struggle with is that we, when we think of keto, and I, I feel bad for our listeners because they know this about me, but when I first thought of keto, I just thought, oh, I kind of gravitated toward a lot of cheese. <laughs> I didn't gravitate towards, you know, and not that cheese is all bad, but I just think that we as women really have to retrain ourselves that protein is not bad and that fat is not bad and that we also need to make sure we're lifting weights and, and using resistance training. And I, I think that's why your message is, is so powerful because it's from a female, it's from a female physician, and it's from a female who has implemented this in their health journey. You've implemented this and had dramatic results. And so we as women just seem to struggle with the most. And I and I don't know why, but it's it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's so funny you bring this up. And when you mention this whole thing about keto and, and like cheese or nuts, I always tell people when you're starting this type of lifestyle, cheese and nuts seem to be what will throw people off, stall people's results. And I think it comes from as women, when I first start talking to them about it, they say, well, what do you use for snacks? And snacking is such an emotional mm-hmm. thing because it gives us this dopamine response, right? We're moms, we're busy, we're on the run. We're used to getting giving our kids snacks. And so this just like idea of snacking like alone is just so off base when it comes to nutrition. If we focus on actually eating food that satiates us, like whole food protein 
intermittent fasts and things like that, we really shouldn't need snacks. We should be able to go multiple hours between meals, you know, before we need another meal. And so, you know, when I talk to women about like protein portions, they're like, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much food. And I'm like, I know it is because you're not used to like sitting down and actually eating a meal, you know, that provides you with with a satiating amount of whole food protein and fats, you know, that are going to last you for multiple hours. So and and protein's important. I tell people I'm like, listen, you have to give your body the building blocks that it needs. It's extremely hard to gain weight eating excess protein. And as we age, we become less efficient at utilization of protein, so you actually need more as you age. So if you're not used to eating it in your 20s 30s and 40s. I mean, you take a menopausal woman and tell her how much protein she needs to eat. And it's like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they, they're like, you, you've got to be kidding me. No way. You know, I think, but you're so right. It's just so important. I look at my mom and my mom is really healthy and active. And yet even someone like her who works out regularly eats well, even her at 70, she needs even more protein than she's getting. And, but it's such a retraining because they were all used to the salad bar. They were told to eat, you know, we all were, you know, go to the salad bar, top it with sugary dressings and meat optional and oh, and those sugar covered nuts. And and that's much healthier than the getting a, you know, a hamburger patty uh, or some chicken or some steak. That's way healthier. And and so I've, I've been so proud of my mom because I'm watching her retrain it. But, you know, her doctors are like, you need as much muscle right now to continue to age well. And us women, we just need that graded us. And I love your thoughts on nuts and cheese because that is like, I think when people think low carb and women, that's what we gravitate towards. And I love the phrase, quit snacking, you're not a toddler. (laughs) So that's one of my favorites. And I have to like remind myself of that. And I think that's why, do you ever have patients come to you and they're like, well, I really didn't eat much all day. And yet you talk to them and I bet they just grazed on coffee, like with creamer all day and snacked all day, but really never ate a solid good meal like you explained. Well, and it's such a mindless thing. I mean, that's the thing is like, you should sit down, you should like taste your food, chew it multiple times, like really, you know, have gratitude towards your nutrition. And we're just so mindless about it, right? I mean, most people could eat down a snack or a meal and like five minutes later, if I'm like, what did that taste like? I mean, most people, you know, it's just like, it, it's that we're just so mindless about our, we're just on the go. And we just focus our energy on all these other things. And we don't focus on what our food really does for our body. So in an ideal day, what does your eating look like? Yeah, so I describe my diet as carnivore ish. It's very, very heavy meat based. And and it is low carb, I have tried lots of different things like targeted carbs, cyclic carbs, you know, all these different things just to kind of find what works best for me. But I'll be real honest. Um, keeping it very simple and eating a lot of the same foods is really honestly what allows me to be consistent with my diet. And it will sound super boring, but it's what works for me and works for our family. And it's, and it's given me sustainable results. And my husband and I say that all the time. We're like, listen, this lifestyle is not hard. And it's been the most sustainable thing we've ever done. So basically, we always have meat or protein, like what I call prepped, like it's always in the fridge, so that if I'm in a pinch, and I get home from work, and I have what I call decision fatigue, like I don't know what to have for dinner. One of like my really easy go to meals is to just do like big bowls of ground beef. And if we have some veggies, 
veggies or whatever to throw on top, great. Or if we have some shrimp in the freezer to throw on top, great. But we always have protein readily available. So usually my day, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, I go to the gym, I do my workouts in the morning because my little kids are still sleeping and it works for my husband and I's work schedule. And that way my workout is done. And then I usually get home by 6 a.m. and I shower and get ready for the day. Sometimes I have morning surgeries or I have to be at the hospital early and sometimes I get to take my girls to school, but I typically fast until lunchtime. Now, certain periods of my life where I've been really trying to be more diligent about putting on lean body mass, I, I have done three meals a day where I do eat protein for breakfast because when you're really trying to build your body, you want to make sure that you're you're getting lots of protein and lots of calories to help build. But for my kind of maintenance lifestyle, I typically will fast until lunchtime. I usually will have somewhere between really like 10, 10 to 16 ounces of meat. It sounds like a ton, but I'll have meat. And then, you know, I might have some veggies or something with it. And then I eat something very similar for dinner. So I eat mostly beef, but we do have salmon. We do have chicken on occasion. We love shrimp and like scallops and seafood. Most of the veggies we stick to like Brussels sprouts, you know, asparagus, I will have some like sweet potato and squash. And I've been able to kind of test on my glucose meter. That's kind of one of the things I love so much is kind of testing on my continuous glucose meter, like how my body responds to certain whole food carbs. But that's really how my life looks most days. Now I'll on occasion have more, you know, like I'll try some like keto crackers or snacks or protein bars. I don't really eat like bars and shakes. I'm really more of a fan of whole foods, but I just keep those things to a minimum. I like to keep, you know, I tell people, treat like keto treats like it's a real dessert just because it's keto doesn't mean that it's good to have all the time. Amen. Um, Amen. It make me feel great. I'll be totally honest. Um, I just feel best when I eat mostly meat. Um, but I don't have like an autoimmune condition or something that I like have to be a strict carnivore. I just, I just feel like I function that way the best. It's an easy way to get a ton of protein. Um, and it's just worked for us. Well, I love that. I think it's very approachable. And I mean, it's shown that when you do keep things more approachable and simple, it's more much more likely that you're going to stick to it. I love, you know, your approach to kind of fasting until lunchtime. I found that when I just took the cream out of my coffee and started kind of fasting until lunchtime, I had pretty dramatic results just by doing that little small change. So coffee, I know that you will at times warn women on overdoing coffee. Do you drink any coffee in the morning? Are you a tea drinker or do you just drink water? So it's funny, like through my lifetime, I never really was a coffee drinker. In med school, I started to like dabble with it. And I really honestly think it was a social thing because we would go study at the coffee shop. Sure. And so, you know, I would try it. And then of course, you know, you're like crazy busy and you like feel like you want some caffeine. So I kind of dabbled with it in med school and residency, but I've just never really been a fan, number one, of hot beverages in general. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I never really cared for coffee. But then in the last year or two, I discovered nitro coffee and which of course is cold brew infused with nitrogen. And I don't know, I've really kind of had this liking towards nitro coffee, but I've never really like needed caffeine in the morning. It's just never been a like normal part of my routine. It's really kind of a more on occasion thing for me. But the issue with not only coffee, but caffeine as well, first of all, a highly abused substance caffeine in our culture, which that alone 
can cause problems for some people with circadian rhythm and their sympathetic system and cortisol. But coffee, and you know, in particular, polyphenols, they do have health benefits, right? But for some people, they they may be exacerbating problems. Like for instance, if a woman has problems with what we call estrogen dominance, excessive amounts of estrogen, um, especially in comparison to progesterone, even our own estrogen goes through this metabolism detoxification process in our liver. And it's the same pathway that things like coffee actually have to get metabolized down. And in, and if, you're, if your system is sluggish or it's running really slow, excessive amounts of coffee or caffeine, other substances even, might kind of jam up the system even more. So when I talk to patients about things like coffee and tea and caffeine, we always have to keep it in context of like, why are we using it? Why do we feel like we need it? Do we need it? Is it just kind of a part of our routine? Like we're just used to getting up, turning on the coffee maker. Are we drinking it because we're super tired and and we need the boost? Do we just enjoy the taste of it as a social thing because we like to sit and have a cup with our you know partner? So I mean, you always have to kind of keep it in context because there's so many things that we do on a daily basis that are just so mindless, and sometimes we overlook them, you know, as being maybe a source of our problems or 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 could be a solution, you know. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. I really appreciate your approach on that of really saying, instead of kind of covering it up, maybe dialing it back and saying, is this covering up something we need to address that's more more serious? Or are you really that tired where you have to have caffeine? Or can you can you go without it? And so we kind of hit on, I guess, coffee there. We hit the nuts. It sounds like you have very little dairy in your diet. Is Am I hearing that yeah. correctly? So when I first went on this journey, I started actually with Whole30. Mm-hmm. And then I transitioned to more of like a paleo lifestyle, but I, I'll be the first to admit, I love cheese. Like I love the taste of cheese. I like all forms of cheese, (laughs) hard cheese, shredded cheese, queso, you name it. And that's actually why I kind of transitioned to keto is like, well, I really like cheese and you can have that on a ketogenic diet. Right. But just like you, I think it's, I think it's something that's easily abused. So cheese contains a protein called casomorphone. So casein is a protein that's in dairy products, but casomorphone is this, this compound in cheese. And it's like, it's highly addictive. Like it literally stimulates your morphine receptors, right? It sounds the same casomorphone sounds like morphine. So this is where cheese does actually get addictive properties. And I mean, I'll be the first to admit I love cheese, but I have noticed throughout my lifetime, throughout, you know, trying different nutritional patterns, my life always seems better without without cheese. I know um, it's so it's, sad, but it's really it's really true. If the cheese if the cheese intake gets too much, it's just the health our health journey I think is yeah. affected. 
unfortunately. So it, it's very calorie dense. It definitely has a lot more fat than it has protein in it. And so, you know, for most women, if you have body fat to lose, you really need to be kind of actually moderating your fat intake. And that's another huge misconception on the ketogenic diet is that you need to eat excess fat to like get you into ketosis or that you can eat unlimited fat, you know, that you can just add cheese and butter to everything, which most women would probably benefit from more of a higher protein, low carb approach with more moderate fat intake. So I mean, that's the real issue with cheese is it's just so calorie dense. It's very easy to overeat, you know, outside of somebody having like an actual dairy intolerance. But really the cheese in my life, when I do ground beef bowls, which is like one of my favorite easy just meals, like I'll be, I eat so much ground beef. We actually just picked up a half cow today. We, our cow just went to the butcher and, um, that's awesome. I mean, I, I'm like, just grind up all the roasts. Like I could care (laughs) less about the roasts. Like just give me like boatloads of ground beef. Cause we just, I mean, really on Sundays I cook up six pounds of ground beef and that is just one of my easy meals but I will put a little bit of shredded cheese, a little bit of shredded cheese and like some hot sauce on my ground beef bowls. And it's not that much, but it's just enough to give me that like, you know, yeah. little taste of cheese. Yeah. You're a little, little fit, but I really appreciate that you are highlighting a misconception with keto. And I wouldn't say like I'm pure keto. I really try to prioritize protein. I especially actually, so I'm only about 40 days from my due date and I have kind of made it my goal since in the early part of this pregnancy, I definitely struggled like a lot of women do with protein wanting it. It just made me want to, you know, grow up. Sorry, everybody. But normally that would not be me. It was just a pregnancy thing. And so I've really felt like in this third trimester, and especially at the end of this pregnancy, I've really tried to make protein my focus because I find with me on a low carb diet, I already naturally get enough fat. Like I I don't need to like add more. Like I naturally get enough. My issue is just really thinking protein first. And now that I'm in a stage of pregnancy where it doesn't make me want to throw up... I am. I'm trying to do that. So I appreciate you addressing that misconception that keto means unlimited fat and, you know, just you can add as much as you want and it's, it's no big deal. I think that's really important for people to hear. Well, and that's like most people will hear, oh my gosh, you can't eat. If you eat too much protein, you get kicked out of ketosis. Yes. That's because a standard ketogenic diet was developed for children with epilepsy. And if they ate too much protein, they would get kicked out of ketosis and they'd have a seizure, right? That's a huge problem if you're a child that needs therapeutic ketosis. But the vast majority of people who are attempting low-carbon ketogenic diets, it's usually just for, you know, health benefits, brain benefits, weight loss, I mean, you name it. And in these situations, I mean, therapeutic ketosis isn't the goal, right? It's, I mean, you can still have baseline fat oxidation and not be registering high ketone levels. And I just think women in particular probably need more protein than they've been led to believe even on a ketogenic diet. Oh, I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. So on your workouts, can you go into kind of what your typical 4.30 a.m. gym workout looks like? Yes. So I do legs on Mondays and Thursdays. I do upper body on Tuesdays and Fridays. And then on Wednesdays and Saturdays, I typically do more of like kind of like hit kind of cardio. I don't want to call it cardio, but if you want more bang for your buck, as far as body composition, resistance training is where it's at, but I don't recommend doing it more than probably four days per week. And I, I choose to kind of split mine where I do, you know, leg focus two days and, and upper body focus the other two days. So like today was an, an upper body day. So I go to 
a gym where there's a trainer that programs everything for me, but you certainly could do resistance training at home, you know, with resistance bands, with starting with body weight exercises. I mean, you can do it with minimal equipment. Um, But I'm kind of, I like people to tell me what to do, especially at 5 a.m. Yes, especially (laughs) we have no coffee and and, uh, at 5 (laughs) a.m. Yeah. So um, like, so today I did, let's see what I did, a barbell overhead press, and then I did barbell rows, and then I did like a push-pull circuit, and then some resistance band like supersetted in there. So every day it looks a little bit different, but that's what works for me. When women say like, I don't want to get bulky, like that's it's very genetic. I mean, to get to look like a bodybuilder, that is like a phenomenal amount of like work, trust me. Right. <laughs> and, and what will happen with your body is that, you know, as your body composition changes, as you start trading a lot of your body fat for, for lean body mass, trust me, like you will like the way that your body looks, you'll like the way it feels in your clothes. And we just need to get away from the stigma that like muscles are masculine, because women can have muscles too. And you want to be strong, like you want to do strong things. And you shouldn't be afraid of that. I just found when I got stronger, I just I've always felt like I was a pretty confident person, but it added this level of confidence. I walked better with better posture. You're right, my you know, the scale might not have moved, but my I was going down in clothes size, my clothes fit better. I mean, there was just so many benefits. So what's your advice to your patients about the scale? What do you like to encourage them or discourage them about the scale? Yeah, so I will be the first to admit that I used to live and die by the scale. I changed my behavior based on what the number on the scale said. (laughs) In women, your body weight can fluctuate five, six pounds in a day, depending on where you're at in your menstrual cycle, you know, fluid retention. But we want to believe as women, that that is literally the amount of fat that we have lost or gained. So true. So for many, many, many years, I mean, I told people to stay off the scale, but I myself had trouble doing it. Every single morning I weighed myself. Well, great, great thing happened. Probably, let's see, nine months ago, we had a digital scale in our bathroom and it died and we couldn't find the plug-in cord. And I'll be totally honest, I have not weighed myself in over nine months. I have no clue what I weigh right now. And it has been one of the most liberating things in my entire life. But what women really need to understand about the scale is it literally is only telling you what your relationship is with gravity. It tells you nothing about your body composition. And so we're starting to see more availability of body composition testing. But my advice is to do a body composition test, whether it's with bioelectrical impedance or a DEXA scan would be amazing. But find out how much muscle you have, because I can tell you as a physician, I can say, you know, this amount of body fat is what's healthy. But what we don't really know is, you know, for me to look at at you and say, you should have this amount of muscle. But we know that probably the more muscle you can gain in your lifetime is probably advantageous. So my recommendation is to actually get a body composition scan. And then at some interval, you know, maybe three months into your journey or six months into your journey is to retest it and see where it's at. Because if you lose 50 pounds, we want to make sure you're losing 50 pounds of fat and that you're not losing lean body mass. And if you're not eating enough protein, that can definitely happen. So body composition testing is what's far superior to the weight on the scale. And they do make some at-home body composition scales. They're, I mean, they're generally accurate. There's one now you can get on Amazon called Sculpt. That's pretty good that you can actually scan like all the different areas of your body. And it's pretty close to DEXA. But I would recommend finding a way to track your body composition. And if you can't do that, then get a good old tape measure out. And that's another great way. I like that metric way better than the scale. But just
just literally, I'm serious, just like throw your scale in the trash can, just like get it out of your house because <laughs> it will play mind games with you. It really does. And I loved learning, you know, in my journey that, you know, you can have extra water retention after a really hard workout because, you know, your water is going to your muscles for repair. I loved learning like about, obviously, I mean, we always talk about like our clothes fitting, but I just find the scale in general, there are some people it can be helpful for, but in general, it is has not been helpful for my journey. And it's just caused me to do behaviors that are fast, but don't last. And I'm always telling people, we need to be targeting results that last, not results that are that are fast and showing because we had water weight swings on a scale. I mean, there is there is no fast result. No, like they're just straight up business, not scientific. Like there's, there's just not. <laughs> no, there's not. And that's such a good reminder. Because I mean, I think that that was the, the world we grew up in. In, at least as uh, teenagers and in my 20s, it was like we wanted all everything that was fast on our health journey and it, it never lasted. Okay, so here's always one that I know is not everyone wants to hear, but I think it's important to hear from you. What is your opinion and your recommendation with alcohol? Yeah, so alcohol, of course, a personal choice that people choose to use it. But alcohol, I mean, really, it's a toxin to the body. So just like we talked about how coffee and caffeine and all these things have to be, you know, metabolized through our liver, alcohol does too. And alcohol in particular has something called oxidative priority, meaning if you're trying to lose weight, when you consume alcohol, your body has to burn through the alcohol before it will touch any other calorie that's consumed. So it will stop burning your body fat, it will stop burning whatever you ate for dinner, and it will work on the alcohol first. With that being said, I'm not saying that it can't be part of, you know, a healthy lifestyle, like a glass of wine here or there, but it really has to be like in the context of what your goals are. And the hard truth is that for some people, your life might be better without it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it's, of course, you know, an abuse substance as well. And it lowers your inhibition. So you're more likely to, you know, go eat Taco Bell or whatever your old bad habit was or Uh (laughs) so you really I mean, you really just have to ask yourself, you know, why you're consuming it? Do you have a healthy relationship with it? Is it helping you get closer to where you want to be? Of course, it's a very social thing in our society. It can be part of a low carb lifestyle. I mean, hard alcohol doesn't have carbs. There's tons of like low carb, low sugar wines available these days. But you really just have to, I mean, really kind of have a heart to heart with yourself about it. Now, my husband and I both choose to um, use alcohol on occasion, but you know, it's really never more than like once per week. And of course it's in moderation and it's, you know, within the context of our goals. And that's the thing that you just really have to ask yourself. I appreciate that perspective because, you know, Spencer and I, my husband, we do drink at the same time. We'll take breaks from it. We will remind ourselves how much better we feel when we don't, you know, drink. And we're in an industry that is fairly social and it's sometimes hard to, and being both social people at the same time when I am not having alcohol too often or too much, I never regret that. I'm never like, oh, that was a shame. <laughs> you know, it's it's but it's it's so hard because it does feel so social. And I just see a lot of my friends and and moms who I feel aren't alcoholics and haven't crossed a line, but kind of, I had, I recently interviewed Dr. Naaman and he was like, most of my patients are having two big glasses of wine a night. 
like most of them. Mm -hmm. And then they're not, yeah, they're functioning fine at their jobs and they're doing everything well, but there are some parts of their health journey that are being affected because of that every day, every night, multiple glasses behavior. Yeah, alcohol is pretty well known to disrupt your sleep. And so then they sleep poorly, and then they need more caffeine in the morning. And and that's the issue with alcohol is that, you know, man, many patients will tell me, well, I just I need it to relax, or I use it to relax or whatever. And, and that's the problem is you should be able to relax on your own, mm-hmm. you know, turn on a meditation app or whatever it is, or, you know, find another another form of stress relief. And that's the that's the thing is you have to ask yourself, you know, is your relationship or need for it in a good place, a healthy place, or um, is it causing you, are you using it because you're avoiding something else in your life? Yeah, I think that's so important. And I love how you just keep bringing it back to that with almost every food item and and drink we've kind of talked about. So thank you so much for your time today. Where can people connect with you, support you and find you, Dr. Janie? So people can find me most active on Instagram. So Dr. Fit and Fabulous. And I have a Facebook page. I do have a Facebook group, but it's just for my coaching group. I do an eight-week coaching group every eight weeks. And I've got a website. I'm easiest to connect with on on Instagram. And I love hearing from, from people, especially if you've enjoyed the podcast. And if people want more information on your coaching, do they go to your website? Yep. I um, have some of it posted on the website. And then I usually am always updating when new groups are coming. Um, I'll, I'll throw it up on Facebook and Instagram because people are always asking. I used to do one-on-one consulting, but it just got, I can affect more lives by doing the groups. And so it's been more successful that way. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, one thing that I love to end the interview with is if you had one piece of bold advice to leave our listeners with today, because we are the Living Your Big Bold Life podcast, what would that be? I'm going to bring it back to, you know, when I started living my life with a different purpose and a different passion, it was absolutely prioritizing myself before everything else. And so my advice is be content with yourself. Mm. You can be content and be happy alone in your own mind, in your own body. I promise you that that energy will radiate to the entire world. Amen. Dr. Jamie, thank you for your time today. Let us go fill our cups so we can fill others. Have a great day. Dr. Jamie was such a wealth of wisdom today that we are actually going to have her back for a part two. And on part two, we're going to take some of the questions that you said living your big, bold life and ask them of Jamie, who is a mom, a physician, and really has a passion for a lot of these same concerns that you have. So we're going to talk about how we encourage healthy eating in our children. We're going to tackle birth control and some of the misconceptions around that. We're also going to discuss PCOS. And really, that's only the beginning. So be on the lookout for part two of this episode, where we talk more bold health approaches with Dr. Fit and Fabulous. See you next time, my friends. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.